Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, verse 11. And we're going to read from 11 to 13. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Lord, we thank you for your word that brings life and clarity to our lives. Thank you for this passage of scripture. Pray, Lord, that you would fill us all with the Holy Spirit to receive your word. Please fill me with the Holy Spirit to speak it clearly. Help us to understand this difficult passage this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. This message is called The Christian and Circumcision. Okay? Now, today going to put this down. One of the world's oldest and longest practices, religious practices, is still being practiced in in our world, all across the world, and that is circumcision, the rite of circumcision or the ritual of circumcision. And simply defined, circumcision is the cutting away of the male foreskin, and it's normally done to infants, but sometimes it's done to adults as well. Now, where did this practice come from? This is a practice that has been called uh, the oldest practice in Judaism, so it dates 4,000 years. And the origin of circumcision comes actually from the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 17, when God commands Abraham to be circumcised and to circumcise his household, that included all the strangers in his house, and to circumcise his descendants, and that would be done forever and ever and ever. That was a command. And so God uh, commanded him to do that, so he was circumcised, and at that time uh, his only son was Ishmael, and so he circumcised Ishmael as well. And then when Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him on the eighth day as God commanded. God commanded circumcision to be done on the eighth day when when a child of Abraham or a Jew was born. And so today in our world and throughout history, circumcision has been practiced mostly predominantly by Jews and Muslims, but the practice has spilled over into many cultures, and even people who aren't Jews and Muslims will practice circumcision. So what is circumcision? What does it mean? That's the question, okay? Now I'd like to read you a quote from a man named Herman Wook, who's passed away. He's a a uh, conservative Orthodox Jew. This is what he says about circumcision. He says, for Jews, for Jews today, circumcision, today as in the past 4,000 years, is not a detail of hygiene. It is the old seal of the pledge between Abraham and his creator, a sign in the flesh, a mark at the source of life. That's Herman Wook in his book, This Is My God. So notice how he says it's not hygiene, has nothing to do with hygiene. And there's many times that 
people try to explain things in the Old Testament, uh, like circumcision or like the kosher laws in terms of hygiene. But to do that is to err because you miss the actual significance of what these things are. It's not about hygiene at all. It's a sign, he says, of the covenant that God made with Abraham. It's a sign of that covenant. This is a rabbi uh, from the 20, 20th century. His name is Morris Kurtzer in his book, What is a Jew? And this is what the average Jew thinks about circumcision today. This is kind of the Jewish thought of what circumcision is. The circumcision of a male child on the eighth day of his life is probably the oldest rite in the Jewish religion. It was practiced by the patriarchs even before the Torah existed and is so deeply ingrained in the tradition that no postponement is permitted either for the Sabbath or for the Day of Atonement, which means even on the Sabbath and even on that major festival when you're commanded to do no work, they still will circumcise the child on the eighth day if it happens to fall on that day. Judaism has considered the rite of circumcision an external symbol binding the child to his faith. It is not a sacrament that inducts the infant into Judaism. His birth accomplishes that. But it is a sacred act that celebrates the boy's status as one who is in covenant with God. Circumcision thus confirms the child's status as a Jew and defines the nature of that status as continuing the covenantal relationship with God that began with Abraham and continues ever after. So notice that this rabbi says that it doesn't make you a Jew because you're born a Jew, but it confirms you as one. It states that you're one. It's a sign that this is who you are. I am a Jew. I'm under the covenant that God made with Abraham perpetually that will go on forever and ever and ever. So circumcision doesn't make a person a Jew, but it tells you that you are one. Your birth makes you one. So there's a lot of confusion about circumcision, isn't there? There's a lot of confusion about it, even in whatever camp you are in, whatever, what, even if you're a Christian or if you're a Jew or a Muslim, there's a lot of confusion about this. And the reason why there's confusion is because God said in Genesis 17 that anyone who's not circumcised will be cut off from Israel. Anyone who's not circumcised is cut off. And so what that led to is a confiding in circumcision that you were right with God. Because if you're not circumcised, you're cut off from the people of God and you're cut out of the covenant, then to be circumcised must mean that you're not cut off and that you're in the covenant and you're okay. And so Jewish people actually begun to confide and put their confidence in the fact that they were circumcised. And that means they're right with God. And they would look down on anyone who's not circumcised and say, you're obviously not right with God because anyone who's not circumcised is, is out and if you're circumcised, you must be in. And so as long as you're circumcised, you're okay. It's, even in secular Jews today, they will still circumcise just as that safety and, and, uh, because there's a, there's, a, there's a carnal confidence in that. Here are some quotes from rabbinical scholars of the past about circumcision. Our rabbins have said that no circumcised man will go to hell. By the way, Jewish people have believed in an afterlife, okay? Because I know many people will say that Jews don't believe in an afterlife. It's not true. <clears throat> Another quote, circumcision saves from hell. Another quote, God swore to Abraham that no one who was circumcised should be sent to hell. Number, last one, Abraham sits before the gate of hell 
and does not allow that any circumcised Israelite should enter there. You see? So there's a confidence that as long as you're circumcised, you're okay. If Abraham's sitting at the gate there, sees that you're circumcised, then you're in. And so they had a confidence in this procedure, in this ritual, because they, they inferred that from Genesis 17 when God commanded it. But before we become critical of that, this is not anything new and this is not anything unique to Judaism, but this kind of uh, confidence in mere external things is seen in every religion, including Christianity, right? As long as I'm baptized, I'm okay. Isn't that true? Oh, I've been baptized, I'm good. I'm right with God because I'm baptized. Or I've got this card in my pocket, look at me. I can go to the temple, so I'm okay. Or also, people will say, um, I don't do this or I don't do that. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink alcohol. I don't go to the bars. I don't watch bad movies. I'm okay. Because I don't, even though everything else, whatever, as long as I do this thing, or I go on, I go on a pilgrimage to Mecca, the Muslims say, doesn't matter how sinful I am. As long as I've done that, pray five times a day, give money to the poor, I'm okay. Or a, a Roman Catholic might say, because I go to the Mass, I'm good. I'm good. So it's all the same thing. You're putting confidence in what you do. And it's, to the, it's really like a tunnel vision. You're, you're not seeing the whole picture. You're, just, you're seeing that this was commanded by God, therefore if I do this, I'm okay. And only that. Now it's very clear from the Old Testament that circumcision was not what made you okay. Being circumcised outwardly was not okay because all over the Old Testament, God is telling the people that even though you're circumcised, I consider you to be uncircumcised. You need to be circumcised in your heart. He was telling this to people who were circumcised and he was warning them. He was destroying this false confidence by saying, look, don't put your confidence in the fact that you're circumcised. In my sight, you're not. Not at all. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 9. It's an amazing verse in the Old Testament. <clears throat> so this, um, this understanding that circumcision doesn't save you is not a New Testament thing only. Jeremiah 9, 25 and 26. That's the last two verses in the chapter of Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah is after Isaiah. Now notice carefully what it says here. This is God speaking to Israel. He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. I'm going to make no distinction. I'm going to punish all them that are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt and Judah, Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab, and all that are in the utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Isn't that interesting? So there, right there he says, look, being circumcised doesn't make you right with me. I see no distinction between Egypt and you. They're uncircumcised in the flesh. You're uncircumcised in heart. No difference. You're going to be punished the same. So you see here God's intention. So all over the Old Testament, many verses can be shown. Circumcise your hearts or perish with the uncircumcised. 
That's God's message. So it's not just a New Testament thing. So clearly there's more than meets the eye when we're talking about circumcision, isn't there? Now in the New Testament, circumcision is a huge issue as well. Huge issue in the apostolic days. In fact, many of our letters, the book of Acts, a lot of it has to do with this question of circumcision. Because in Paul's day, even amongst Christians, as they were becoming Christians and believing in the Messiah, they were saying, well, don't Gentiles need to be circumcised? I mean, the Jews are already circumcised at birth, so... but." If the Gentiles are going to be saved and brought into the family of Israel, and if the Gentiles are going to be inheritors of the promises of Abraham, then don't they need to be saved? I mean, Genesis 17, or don't they need to be circumcised? It's pretty clear in Genesis 17 that anyone who's not circumcised is going to be okay. And it, it's been our practice for years that when a Gentile wants to be saved, that they would become a Jew, that they would have to be circumcised as God commands. They'd have to be obedient to that. And... Uh, so there was this huge controversy in the early church about that. How can an uncircumcised person be saved? How can an uncircumcised person uh, be a child of Abraham? Now the Apostle Paul, I want to say this, had no sympathy at all for, for the idea that Gentiles needed to be circumcised. Even though these seem like hard questions and hard issues, he had no sympathy for it. Because Paul saw that question, or that kind of a preaching, that you need to be circumcised, as an attack against the gospel and against the cross. And to not see here at this point is to not see at all. So we, we might have sympathy and say, well, it is a tough question, Paul. I mean, I mean, it does say in the Old Testament, right? But Paul said, no, if you don't see it here, you don't see it at all. And it's a totally different gospel. He had no sympathy whatsoever. Because to say that a person needs to be circumcised to be saved, what's the difference between saying a person needs to, or you talk to someone and says, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm saved because Jesus Christ will save me because I go to church and I've been baptized and I don't watch bad movies, etc., 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 because God commands me to be good. And What's the difference? God commanded them to be circumcised and so they put their confidence and their obedience to God's command. And he says, no. It's an attack against the righteousness that comes by faith. So turn with me to Romans chapter 2. As I said, the New Testament talks a lot about circumcision, and this is one of the most important discussions of circumcision in the New Testament. Romans chapter 2, verse 25. <clears throat> Paul's now talking to the Jew who's put his confidence in his observance of the law, which includes circumcision. And it sheds light on what circumcision is. Romans 2.25 just going to read to the end of the chapter there. For circumcision truly profits if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfills the law, judge you who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is one outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. Sounds like the Old Testament. In the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Okay. Interesting, huh? 
This is a very important passage here as it unveils the true meaning of circumcision. Now, now God did say that if you are not circumcised in Genesis 17, you're cut off. But that wasn't the only thing that would get you cut off, was it? People who are circumcised could be cut off for just not obeying the law, period. There's a curse upon everyone that does not obey all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Paul goes into this in detail in Galatians chapter 3. He says, look, when you put one condition upon making you right with God, one work that you have to do, you become a debtor to do all things that the law commands. So someone who's circumcised, that's only the first thing. That's only one thing. You can be cut off for all sorts of things. You can be cut off just for disobeying God's law, and you're cut off from his people. But here's the interesting thing. Paul says, if you are outwardly circumcised and don't keep the law, God does not see you as a circumcised person. If you're outwardly circumcised, God looks at you and you're not a law keeper, you're a transgressor, you have no righteousness, you are actually considered to be uncircumcised. And on the other hand, you might not be circumcised at all outwardly. And if you keep the righteousness which is in the law, then you are considered by God to be circumcised. That means you are actually circumcised in God's sight if you are a law keeper. Isn't that interesting? God considers it. He sees either one way or the other. And here's a simple principle that just is just amazing to me. If you break this down, the one who is righteous is circumcised, and the one who is not righteous is not circumcised. That's what this is simply saying. If you're righteous, you're considered circumcised by God, even if you're not outwardly. And if you're unrighteous, you're considered uncircumcised by God, even if you're circumcised outwardly. It's righteousness that makes the difference as to whether God counts you one way or counts you another. Isn't that amazing? Now, we know that no one is righteous by the law here. So Paul is hypothetically saying if someone's righteous by the law, then they'll be considered one way, and if they're not, then they'll be considered another. And then he goes on to explain the righteousness of the gospel, which we all know what that is, I hope. Right? That is not... You are not righteous before God by your works, and you're not righteous before God by your deeds and your obedience and your law-keeping. God has revealed a new way for you to be righteous before God that has nothing to do with your obedience to the law. Jesus Christ has come, died on the cross for all of your sins, and his finished work is the basis now for you to be right with God. By simple faith in Jesus, you are justified freely by his grace. You're righteous. You're considered totally righteous in God's sight by simple faith in Jesus Christ, trusting what he did for you on the cross. That person is now righteous. And if that person is now righteous, that person is now considered to be circumcised by God. Isn't that amazing? God considers you to be circumcised, brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian trusting in Jesus Christ. That's just a fact that you need to know. You're circumcised in his sight. Whether you, you knew that or not, it's true. And so... Back in Jeremiah, remember this, go back here. I want to read the context, this beautiful context. Because <clears throat> I read you the bad news, 25 and 26, Jeremiah chapter 9. And remember what circumcision means. Circumcision means the one who is circumcised is a child of Abraham and in the covenant with God, with Abraham. He is a part of the people of God. So if you're righteous by faith, 
God considers you to be circumcised, and this means you are a part of the people of God. And look at this beautiful context here in verse 23 and 24. Really, this doesn't give you a definition of circumcision, but a description of the one who is circumcised in the heart. And it sounds very similar to Romans chapter 2. Thus saith the Lord, verse 23, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him glory, him that glories, glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight saith the Lord. That's a description of someone who's circumcised. The one who's circumcised understands this, knows knows who God is, knows Jehovah, knows that he's a God of love and a God of justice. You've been circumcised in heart by simple faith in Jesus Christ. Because what happens when you believe on Jesus? Did you know this this verse 24 is absolutely true for every Christian? That if you're a Christian, 24 is true of you that you know the Lord. No one has to tell you that you don't know the Lord or that you need to know the Lord, that you know him because you know him as a God of love and a God of justice. You say, well, how do I know God as a God of love and a God of justice? By believing on Jesus. Why did you believe on Jesus? Well, one, you believed in the God of justice. You believe that you're under the condemnation of sin, that God is righteous and holy, and that you're not holy and righteous, and that you're not acceptable in his sight because all your works are filthy rags. You realize that there's no hope in the law for me to be saved. God is just. I'm not. And he's not going to lower his standards. And so what do you do? You are condemned. and You have no hope in and of yourself. Then you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because one, you believe God is just, and two, because you believe God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish and have everlasting life. You realize that the cross not only declares the righteousness and justice of God, but also the love of God towards sinners. As we mentioned earlier, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? So by simply putting your faith in Jesus, you have come to understand God as a God of justice and as a God of love. A description that you're circumcised in heart. You know the Lord. That was what God loved about Abraham, is that he knew him. He knew him. And that's what Paul says in Romans 2. This is the true Jew whose praise is of God and not of man, because God delights in that. And so here's the truth. If you are a Christian who has put your faith in Jesus, you are circumcised. You are a part of the people of God, and God delights in you. He delights in you. Not because of you, but because of what he's done, and you've believed. Now let's go to Colossians, to our text this morning. We're going to look at the Colossians here. These are true blue Gentiles in the flesh. The Judaizers were Jews who professed to believe in Jesus. The Judaizers had come to Colossae, and they were saying, you know, it's all great and good that you believe in Jesus, but you ain't saved until you get circumcised. That is what you must do to be saved, because God says 
You need to be circumcised, you uncircumcised people. Paul says, as we read last week, you are complete in him. Gentile, Christians at Colossae, don't listen to the Judaizers. You are complete in Christ. You are totally complete. But Paul doesn't just tell them they're complete. He explains in what way they're complete. And in the next verse, in verse 11, which we read, he says, in whom you are circumcised. So he says, look, don't listen to the Judaizers who say you're not circumcised. You are circumcised. God considers you to be circumcised. And ironically, it's the Judaizers who aren't circumcised. They don't know the Lord. It's the Judaizers who are not a part of God's people. But you are circumcised, and don't let anyone tell you. Actually, though, we would agree with the Judaizers that a person needs to be circumcised to be saved. And we would also agree with the rabbinical scholars who said no circumcised person is going to go to hell. Where we disagree is what does it mean to be circumcised and what does it mean to not circumcised? Who is circumcised and who isn't circumcised? That's where we disagree. And all they're seeing is just the outward. And God's looking at the inward. So we would agree. If you're circumcised, you won't go to hell. And you do need that to be saved. But that circumcision simply happens to you when you believe on Jesus Christ. It simply happens to you. What is described here in Colossians is actually what has happened to the believers when they believe. Notice in verse 11 it says, in whom. In whom. Meaning this is something that has happened to you in Christ Jesus. This is, an, this is a, a blessing and a gift that you have of being in him. In whom. This is something that's true for you as a Christian. Not true for anyone who's not a Christian. In whom you are circumcised before God in his sight. It's, uh, it's generally agreed that this passage here in Colossians is very difficult to interpret because it's very doctrinal and it's the concepts are quite foreign to us. I think that the concepts were foreign to the Colossians too. And what's amazing about this circumcision is that Paul is telling us this has been done to us because we didn't notice it. It's not something that you experience. Because you might read this and be like, well, I didn't notice I got circumcised. I didn't feel that I got circumcised. I, don't, I didn't have this experience. You know? So how can I presume to say that I've been circumcised? Right, Nick, we've talked about presuming, right? How can I, I mean, in whom you're circumcised. I mean, I don't feel that. I don't, didn't notice that happened to me. Can I presume to say it's true of me? And this is the point. Paul's saying, you're not presuming. This is God saying this is true about you. You just believe it in the very same way that you believe that you're justified. You didn't feel that or experience that either, right? You just believe the promise of God in the word. And what Paul is saying here to these justified believers, he's saying, you know, let me just tell you that you're complete in Christ, and that means you've been circumcised as well. You don't feel it, just believe it. It's true. It's totally true, whether you feel that or not. So verse 11 and 12 explain what uh, being circumcised in the Spirit inwardly means what it looks like to God and verse 13 sums it up so it's a difficult passage but I'm going to give it my best shot here <clears throat> verse 11 before we look at it it also points out this is a circumcision done without hands so this isn't something that you do it's not a ritual that you perform some people like to think that baptism is what this is talking about when you were baptized and they point to verse 12 how it mentions baptism they say when you were baptized in water that was when you were circumcised 
<laughs> and baptism has replaced circumcision as the, the ritual. So before the ritual was circumcision, and now the ritual is baptism. But I don't believe that is true, because this is saying this is done without hands, number one. I'll mention another reason why in a moment, why I don't believe that. This is something that's done to you without hands. It's not something that you do. God does it, not you or anybody else. And what happens to you here is it says, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And this is what happens. In putting off the body of the flesh. The King James says the body of the sins of the flesh, but that's actually not a good translation of this. More accurately in the Greek, it's the body of flesh. I think most of your Bibles should say that. The body of flesh is put off when you are circumcised with the circumcision or by the circumcision of Christ. So first of all, what does the putting off of the body of flesh mean and what does the circumcision of Christ mean? Difficult expressions which are foreign to us. But if we follow, I believe, the Pauline sense of, of words, if he has any consistency in his words, then what I believe this is meaning, if it because it sounds like Romans 6 when it talks about our old man being put off. It sounds like Galatians 2.20 when it talks about us being crucified with Christ, not living anymore. It sounds like Galatians 5.24 when it says we've crucified our flesh. It means that our old man is put off. Is put off. Because what does the body of flesh mean? Some people mean the NIV translates it the sinful nature. I don't believe that's what it is. But our identity in Adam is put off. Literally, we died. Our body of flesh is gone. Our body, with its identity and its powers and whatever else our body is, is put off. Put off also helps us see what it's talking about because this word is used in Colossians 3.9. Turn there. Same word used in Colossians 3.9 seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. It says they're put off. So I am prone to think that here Paul is talking about the exact same thing, that when you are circumcised with Christ, you, who you are, your old man, is dead. It's speaking of the death of Christ and your being dead with him. Here's another reason why I think it's talking about that, because this would flow well into the next verse, which then talks about burial and then resurrection. It would be odd for Paul to mention burial and resurrection without ever mentioning the death of Christ. So I believe in verse 11, he's mentioning the death of Christ by saying the circumcision of Christ, that is the death of Christ. The circumcision of Christ. The death of Christ. When he died, you died. I'm not going to pretend this isn't a difficult doctrinal passage to interpret, but this is what I believe it's saying. When you believed on Jesus, you were united to him, and you died when he died. Or when he died, you died. Verse 12 then goes on to the burial. Burial speaks of a permanent putting away, meaning that when you died with Christ and your old man and your identity died with Christ, it is gone forever. It's put away. It's buried. 
permanently discarded forever. So it's never going to come back. Your old identity is never going to come back and put itself on you again. It's gone. You're forever marked. You're forever circumcised. And nothing can take that away. And you're raised with him also, it says here, through faith. So all of this has happened when you believed. You were crucified with Christ. You were buried away with Christ, never to be brought back again. And then all of a sudden you were raised, but not you, your old man, but you, your new man in Christ Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone forever, and the new has come and is to stay. So you're also risen with him as well. This is all talking about your identity as a believer in Jesus Christ. What's simply true for you, even though you didn't feel anything, did you? How many of you felt that? Any of you felt the nails that went into Jesus' hands and his feet? Nobody? Did you, did you hear the stone when it was rolled across the, the doorway? Did you hear that? Did you feel the grave clothes being wrapped around you? No? How about when Jesus rose from the dead? Did you feel that? Did you feel that energy pulse through your body when that took place? No. Is it true for you? Yes. Because you are in Christ, and what happened to him, God considers it to have happened to you. It's done, even if you didn't feel it. That's why he's telling us this. He's informing. He's saying, guess what? You were circumcised. You were dead. You were buried. You are risen. It's all true. Because it happened to him, it happened to you. And it happened to you through faith. Now, those who say that circumcision has been replaced by baptism... What they say is that we should now baptize infants, okay? Because they say that's the new right. That's the new right. And so if you had to, because it's all about this covenant. When the child is born, they're born into the covenant, and therefore they were circumcised. So when a Christian child is born, we baptize them as an infant, just like circumcision said it's replaced it. But I don't believe so because all of this circumcision has happened through faith, it says in verse 12. That cannot happen in a baby. They're dead, buried, and resurrected through faith without hands. So it's when you believe this has happened. Now, why is baptism mentioned then? Because all of this is pictured in baptism. Baptism does not replace circumcision. It simply pictures circumcision. What happened to you when you believe on Jesus? You, were da- you died and went under, but being dunked is only half the story, right? What if baptism was only being dunked? You drown, right? You go down and you come up, symbolizing you put off and you have put on, both of those things. And whether this is talking about a spiritual baptism, uh, like the actual spiritual fact of you being immersed in and united to Christ, or whether this is talking about water baptism, makes no difference because it says the same thing and it speaks the same thing. And verse 13 sums it all up. perhaps best translated, and thus you, and thus you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So it's kind of like the eagle-eyed view of everything that just took place. You were dead in sins. Sins caused you to be dead, and sins is the evidence that you were dead. Both of those things. You were uncircumcised, What does it mean to be uncircumcised? You are not a part of the people of God. You were not a part of it. You had no hope. Remember Ephesians? It's kind of an echo of Ephesians, isn't it? 
You were dead in sins. You had no hope. You were without God. Nothing. But he has quickened you together with him. Something has changed, and it changed because of what Jesus did. This would never happen were it not with him. It has to be with him. Jesus came and did something for us so that our position could change. But without that with him, there is no New Testament, and there is no hope. If Jesus hadn't have come, the story would have been, and you were dead in your sins, you were uncircumcised in your flesh, and you went to hell without hope. What other story could there be? But with him, Christ came for you on a rescue mission to save you, even though you were dead and uncircumcised. There was no merit. There was no, nothing good in you that Jesus saw when he came to die for your sins. You believe that? When Christ Jesus, as we sung, you came from heaven to earth. Did he come to heaven, from heaven to earth because we were worthy of that? Because we deserve that? Because there was something in us that drew him forth? Or did he come freely as a gift of mercy and grace to save those who had no worthiness whatsoever? That's the New Testament story. And that's why it's all about love. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's death? In my Savior's blood? Died he for me? Who caused? Like, it's all a question. Like, really? He died for me? Who caused him pain for me? Who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? We should meditate on that more. All the time. Because we can sing that sometimes and not get it, right? Who died for me? That should make us think of our sins and our uncircumcision and our status before God came and saved us. And thus you. And notice all of your, your sins are forgiven. Having been circumcised, all your sins are forgiven. All. Like as Brad pointed out, this is one of the places in the Bible where it mentions the extent of our forgiveness. All includes past, present, and future. The whole kit and caboodle, it's all gone. All your sins includes all your sins meaning everyone that you're going to commit today, tomorrow, and the next day, as well as your past. And the Greek word here is actually charizomai. It comes from the word grace. It does mean forgiveness. It's used by the Greek writers to mean forgiveness, but it's a forgiveness that has the nature of grace in it, meaning free forgiveness or free favored forgiveness towards you. He's forgiven you freely because he loves you of all your sins. That's the meaning of that word and that beautiful expression. So do you believe that? Let me challenge you. Do you believe all your sins are freely forgiven? All of them. You must see and meditate on that. It's a wonderful truth. <clears throat> so circumcision is the mark of the covenant that you are Abraham's child. But a person can be outwardly circumcised and God doesn't even see it. You're not circumcised. I don't know you, and you're not one of Abraham's descendants. And a person cannot be circumcised outwardly. And God says, you are circumcised. You bear the mark of my child and of Abraham's child, and you are one who's in the covenant 
of God. Circumcision is necessary for salvation. But what kind of circumcision are we talking about? The inward and not the outward. And it happens to you when you believe the gospel, simply when you believe the gospel, when you simply put your faith in Jesus Christ, this experience of circumcision happens to you. Even if you didn't know it happened, you have been informed by the Apostle Paul that it happened to you. So it's not an aspiration. This isn't me saying, you better be circumcised. It's saying, if you're a Christian, you have been circumcised. If you're not a Christian, you are uncircumcised in God's sight, and you need to be circumcised. And you know how to do it? It's with the circumcision of Christ. It is by believing on Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's a quote from Spurgeon, that I think was wonderful. The Jew boasts that he is a circumcised man. But you, Christian, have spiritually all that circumcision meant literally. Even though you have not wounded your flesh, you have more than that, for you have the death of the flesh, and your very flesh has been buried with Christ. All that circumcision can possibly mean, you have in Christ. All that circumcision can possibly mean. Even if I did a poor job of interpreting that passage. Whatever that passage means, you have it. Whatever circumcision means, you have it. It's all done. You have it all in Christ. So you are complete. That's what he's saying to the Colossians. That's what I'm saying to you. You are complete. If you're a Christian, you've got it all. And you don't need to heed anyone, whether they be a Judaizer or anyone else who comes and tells you that you need something else that you lack and that you get it by your own works and obediences, that it's not been provided for in Christ Jesus. If you are righteous by faith, God considers you to be circumcised, and you know the Lord, Jehovah. Just like Jeremiah says, I'll close with these two scriptures once more. Let him that glories in glory, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And to this the apostle agrees when he says, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love for sinners who have no merit to claim, no righteousness on their own. Thank you for loving us and sending your son to die on the cross for us so that we could be rescued. And thank you that it's by simple faith, God, that you receive us by simple faith and without works, that you save us by grace. Thank you for providing everything we need in Christ Jesus. Thank you for bringing, Lord, us into the covenant of Abraham and making us his child and making us your child. Thank you, God, that you've included us. And we love you for loving us so freely and giving salvation so fully. We praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.